0: The motion to dismiss heard round the world. Well, at least for insurance companies, and maybe not. How one court determined that COVID nineteen, an invisible virus, could cause physical loss to businesses. What are we talking about? What does all this mean? Paul White from Wilson Elser walks us through. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk today. Hello, audience. Hope you're having a great day out there. We've got kind of an odd but important topic for today's show, and uh, we're gonna be talking about a potentially very important pre-trial motion. But before you hit that skip button, just hear me out. This is potentially an important decision. So there was a recent decision at the U.S. District Court, Western District of Missouri, Southern Division. Obviously, a mouthful. But at this court, they made a decision that could potentially have a big impact for businesses that are closed or have been closed down due to COVID-19. So if you work for one of those companies or you own one of those companies, this court decision can make a big difference in your life. And luckily to give us a hand with this decision, we welcome Paul White to the show. Welcome, sir. Thanks, Lawrence. Good to be here. Yeah, well, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. And so, Paul, I know we get to a little pregame here, and uh, you're not as bullish on the uh, the impact of this as I am. But uh, and hopefully, my uh, intro wasn't too over the top. But uh, generally speaking, pretrial motions are not a big deal at all. You know, typically speaking, when pretrial motion to dismiss, the you know, courts don't grant those to the defendants often, and usually give the plaintiffs an opportunity to amend their complaint so the complaints in compliance with moving forward in the process. But uh, in this case, you know, when I was looking at the story behind this particular case, you know, I noticed that this might open that door just a little bit for many of the cases that were getting turned down because of the uh, the motion to dismiss. And so this would impact insurance companies and as a result, their insured businesses. So why don't we start with this, Paul? Why don't we start with uh, setting up this case, uh, Studio 417, Atoll, and the Cincinnati Insurance uh, Company. So can you give us the facts, you know, tell us about the players and what happened?
1: Yeah, this is a pretty straightforward situation. The plaintiffs in this case were a group of business owners that consisted primarily of owners of hair salons and restaurants in Missouri and Kansas. They had purchased commercial insurance property policies from Cincinnati Insurance Company. The plaintiffs were all impacted by shutdowns arising as a result of COVID-19 They submitted their business income losses to their insurer and were denied coverage. Consequently, they brought an action in the Western District of Missouri to seek to recover policy benefits based on the assertion that their commercial property policy under various provisions should extend coverage for business interruption due to COVID-19.
0: So as I understand it, Paul, you know, there are hundreds of cases very similar to this that have been filed around the country. The insurance companies, you know, reviewing the policy say, you know, the conditions aren't there for us to pay out on this claim. And as you just said, you know, companies around the country are filing these cases. But uh, as I understand it, as I was reading in my research, that a lot of these policies fall into one of two categories. One, they have a virus exclusion, and the other, they do not. And so that makes a big difference, apparently. And so, you know, what type of insurance policy was this, and did it have a virus exclusion? exclusion clause in it.
1: So this was a commercial property policy that included coverage for business income arising from civil authority orders, ingress and e- egress, uh, dependent property, sue and labor coverage, all of which as part of the insuring agreement requires that there be a physical loss or physical damage although those terms were not themselves defined in the policies. So it was was an insuring clause that in and of itself required this physical loss or physical damage. The particular policy language at issue here did not have a virus exclusion. And so it it brought the focus directly to this question of whether or not COVID-19 creates a physical loss
0: in a property. And so enter this 12b6 motion to dismiss and so just uh, real quick and I'm not I'm not a, uh, a trial attorney there Paul so correct me if I'm wrong but just for the benefit of our audience that didn't go to law school or not lawyers the 12b6 motion uh, to dismiss is uh, something that defendants will often bring up to get out of the case earlier and basically a court will uh, will grant that if the the plaintiff you know, fails to state a claim upon which relief can be granted and so basically the court says you know plaintiff if everything you said is true there's really No legal remedy for us to grant here. And I know I'm paraphrasing there, but was that a pretty good definition there, Paul?
1: Yeah, the only thing that I would add to that, Lawrence, is it's not if everything is true. The court, and this court in particular, made the point that the obligation of the court is to assume that the facts are true and that if the facts as alleged are true, do they present a plausible theory? upon which relief can be granted. The reason that was important to the court in this particular instance was that uh, this was a complaint that, uh, as the court included in its first footnote, was 54 pages long with 253 separate allegations. Within those allegations, the plaintiffs had actually alleged that the COVID-19 was a physical substance that was surviving on physical surfaces at the premises of the policyholders, that it was emitted into the air, and that the presence of the virus rendered their properties unsafe and unusable. Um, Consequently, they claimed that because of that presence and those factors that they had suffered a physical loss or physical damage due to the actual presence of COVID-19 and related impact of shutdown orders. In contrast, the insurers argued that physical loss requires actual, tangible, permanent, physical alteration of property. And that argument is one that, uh, in, in the almost dozen decisions that have come down in other courts throughout the United States, other courts have said, you know what, we're going to dismiss this and there's there's not a reason to amend it because you can't amend around the fact that this virus isn't present and can be cleaned up.
0: Well, and that's why I thought that this decision was such a big deal. It seems like it kind of opened that door on, like you said, many of these cases were ending early when this motion to dismiss was granted. So this kind of opens up, gives him uh, another opportunity to fight another day. Now, look, this is very early in, uh, you know, in the case. You know, next is discovery, and then you, you know, you go to trial unless you settle, and then there's a, a case on the merits. But uh, you know, this seemed to be a big deal to me. But you're not as bullish on that, and uh, maybe you can kind of walk me through some of the court reasoning why you're not as bullish on this case cases I am.
1: Well, there are a variety of factors that that come into play on that. Foremost, these policies define a covered loss to require physical loss or physical damage. And even though these terms aren't themselves defined in the policies, these are terms that courts throughout the United States have looked at and explained that there needs to be some sort of tangible presence or a, a a physical impact on the premises that in fact uh, makes it something that is uh, unsafe to occupy or or otherwise uh, has, has caused a, a destruction of physical property. And so at the motion to dismiss stage, it's a much lower burden on the plaintiff simply to be able to make an allegation that the court assumes is true and that's why the court here, looking at what the plaintiffs allege, and even tying in a couple of the decisions that have come out elsewhere in the country, said the difference in this case and other cases is these plaintiffs have, have made allegations that are specific as to there being physical injury at the premises, and that the premises are actually unsafe and unusable it'll be incumbent upon the policyholders to actually be able to to show that during the course of discovery. But but to your ultimate point, this is not a dispositive ruling. This is, in fact, uh, not a ruling on the merits at all. It has no precedential authority. It simply allows the parties to now proceed to the next stage of the litigation, which is going to be discovery.
0: What did you think about the, it seemed to me an expansion of the definition physical loss, you know, and so obviously, you know, referring to COVID-19, it doesn't actually do any property damage. It doesn't, you know, erode a building or anything like that. Um, and it can be wiped away, it can be disinfected, and it doesn't live forever on services. But the court seemed to kind of, in, in its denial of this motion to dismiss, kind of expanded that physical loss aspect of it. What, what did you think about that?
1: Well <laughs> here's an interesting point. The court itself made the point of saying the result on this case might be much different at a motion for summary judgment, given the difference on burdens. The court also said, and this was a quote, quote, the virus either dies naturally in days or it can be wiped away. Enough <laughs> close quote. It's important to note that the court itself is making this point because if a virus can die naturally in days or be wiped away, that is a a contradiction to some of the allegations in the complaint as to this virus being present, as, as to it making the premises unsafe and unusable. And there's case law in a number of jurisdictions that says if you have uh, putative uh, contamination of a property, if it's something that can be cleaned or remediated, that will not qualify as physical damage. I think ultimately the court is looking down the road at, at what is likely to be presented to it as another argument.
0: Well, let's just take it one step further. I know you and I are a little disagreement on the uh, importance of the, the decision here to deny the uh, motion to dismiss. But uh, just going out, I mean, what, what's your prediction? I mean, you're a trial attorney. And uh, what's your prediction with the ultimate outcome of this particular case?
1: Well, we're all going to be watching where it goes. But my suspicion as to where this case will go is that the parties will present summary judgment motions on, on both sides and that the insurers will present evidence as to uh, whether or not these restaurants were still up and running in fact in in many cases i don't know about these particular restaurants but i know in in many circumstances uh, restaurants are still operating they still have to go service they have delivery service they have employees coming and going they have al fresco dining and the premises have not been impacted and in fact the City, county, and state civil authority orders are not directed towards specific premises in any way, shape, or form. They are directed toward the public at large in order to prevent or reduce the number of cases brought about by human-to-human transmission. So I think ultimately those type facts get presented in motions for summary judgment uh, the fact that the virus can be wiped away, uh, the fact that it doesn't survive long. And, and the court will be asked to look at that question as to whether, again, that virus can constitute a physical loss. And, and even if it were present, and, and being able to prove it's present may be difficult in and of itself, but even if it were present, is it something that can be easily uh, cleaned? And, and just to give you an example, you know, the, the Los Angeles Times periodically runs a story where it identifies different stores where where I may shop that have had employees or diagnosed cases of, of customers coming in that have had COVID-19. Those stores are not shut down. The, the relevant authorities don't issue closure orders. Instead, what happens, and this is not just in Los Angeles, this is throughout the country, they clean it up and and the business continues to proceed on. And so that's a, a major distinction as, as opposed to something where you've got a tangible loss like a fire or an earthquake or a hurricane. This is not that situation. This is a situation where we're all encountering this virus on a, a, a day-to-day basis as to whether or not we are going to catch it through our encounters with others is something that authorities are trying to limit by prohibiting how much access
0: we have in in large public settings. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Paul. It was a pleasure having you. It's good to be with you, thanks for your time. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. Definitely helps the show climb the ranks. And also, we'll cite our sources for this episode on our website in the show notes on LegalTalkNetwork.com. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Have a great day, everybody. We'll